appreciate so much uh, all of you who have taken a, a few moments before the the service began to introduce yourself and to make us feel welcome and feel uh, like we belong here. That's one of the things I, I love about the church. When you visit places, when you go other places that aren't your home congregation, you meet people that just are genuinely excited to see you. And I, I appreciate that about you here. Uh, we have been extremely welcomed, and that means a lot to me. A lot to me because I'm nervous. Uh, it just happens that way. When you go visit places you've never been before and you're around people that you don't necessarily know, it just happens that way. And I was really nervous on the way here, uh, but I found out you guys had a Raisin Canes. And I grew up in uh, in North Louisiana, and Raisin Canes, that's just that was what I loved. And so usually don't even eat before church, before I have to speak, but we went to Raisin Canes, and that made me uh, feel a little bit better. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is the subject that was assigned to me, or at least the text that was assigned, the subject being assurance, being balanced by assurance. And as you turn your Bibles to Romans 8, I want us to listen to the words that Paul says here uh, that, that means so much to us. And I'm sure that these verses are familiar as you read them and as you see the words sort of leap off the page because they speak to us in our lives. They speak to real situations that you and I deal with, uh, emotions that we feel and uh, circumstances that surround our lives, the troubles, the struggles that we have to live out our calling as Christians. All of those things are real on the pages of Romans 8. Let's read the first four verses together. Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we're so thankful for the privilege we have tonight to come around Your throne and to be students of Your Word. Father, we're thankful for great passages like Romans 8 that speak to us in our everyday lives where we, Father, can see the struggles that we have that I guess are always before us. They dominate our minds. Father, we, we know what we should be doing and how we should live like Paul. Uh, but, Father, sometimes it's really hard to carry those things out. We're so thankful for Jesus. We're thankful for the blood that he shed for us, for the grace and mercy that was provided by you through your son Jesus. And Father, as we read and study tonight, help us to learn from you, from your example, and from your servant Paul. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You remember when Moses was in the presence of the burning bush and that he was observing a, a, a moment in time where his mind probably never, never could see anything. He, he would never see anything like he saw, at least at the time. We know that Moses went on to see the parting of the Red Sea. But in that moment, nothing like he's ever seen before. A moment where there was a bush that was completely on fire, but was not consumed. And not only was he staring at a bush that was completely on fire and not consumed, a voice, God's voice, calls out from the bush and tells Moses to remove his sandals because the ground on which he was standing in that moment was 
holy ground. And the same reverence that God wanted Moses to approach his presence with when Moses was in the presence of God is the same reverence with which I hope we can approach a most holy text in Romans 8. A lot of commentators say that this is the greatest chapter in all of the Bible. That if the Bible was a ring, Romans 8 would be the diamond, as some commentators, the way that they say it. That this is the golden text of all of the scriptures. That it's the pinnacle text of all the scriptures because it describes a Christian reality. Romans 6 begins a new life, right? Being buried with Christ in baptism and raised again to have a new life. Romans 7 describes a very real part of the Christian's life, mind you. Paul's not talking about an immature Christian. And he's not talking about a non-Christian, but he's talking about real experiences that followers of Jesus have. The pull of the flesh. But then you get to Romans 8. And you see the dominant victory of Jesus Christ and the mercy and grace that God provides. And so this text to us is the greatest chapter in all of the Bible. But I have mixed emotions about preaching Romans 8. Whenever I get that assignment sometimes or it's on the the list for me to preach, I have mixed emotions about preaching it. Part of me is extremely excited because I love reading verses like, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I love reading verses like, for God will work together things for good, right? All things will work together for the good of those who love the Lord. Or, or who will lay charge to God's elect? Or who will stand against us if God's on our side, right? All of those verses we know real well. well those verses make us feel good. And so it's with great joy I approach a passage like this. But also with fear. With fear that I might not be able to understand completely the depth And the width and the breadth of a great passage like Romans 8 and what we have before us tonight in the short time that we have together as we study. What I love about Romans 8 is that it begins with no condemnation. It ends with no separation and nowhere in between do you find defeat. It's a great chapter that deserves our utmost attention tonight. Though we won't have time to cover all the verses, we'll give our attention as best we can to the first four. And we'll try our very hardest to bring our thoughts in around the subject, assurance. What a great subject it is. Do you remember the occasion when Jesus met some religious leaders in John 8? They approached him and they said, we have caught this woman in the act of adultery. And so they bring the woman in front of Jesus, and Jesus begins to have a conversation with them. You remember that he kneels down and he writes something in the dirt, and then he addresses those people that brought the woman to him. And he says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And then he kneels down into the dirt again and begins to write again and addresses the woman then and says what? Go and sin no more. Do do these condemn you? Is there anyone here to condemn you? And the woman says no. And Jesus says what? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now when I read that passage, I, I find myself like the religious leaders or the people that brought 
the woman to Jesus because their goal in all of that was to, to trap Jesus because they knew what the law said about this woman who was caught in the act of adultery and they also knew that capital punishment only belonged to the Romans. So if Jesus then killed this woman, he was violating Roman law and if he didn't put the woman to death, then he was violating the law of Moses. And so in their minds, the only thing they wanted to do was to accuse And the only thing they wanted to do was condemn. And you and I are a lot like that sometimes. The only thing we want to do is to accuse and to condemn. But in reality, we're the woman in the story. It describes us all, Romans 3 and verse 23, guilty. Guilty. Guilty was the woman. And Jesus didn't dismiss her guilt and He didn't dismiss her sin, but He said the penalty for your sin... Go and sin no more. I've got that. I don't condemn you. There's no penalty. You have done wrong. I'm sure Jesus acknowledged that. Maybe that's what he wrote in the sand. I'm not sure. But the penalty for her sin, it was on Jesus. Jesus took that on. And that's what we read in Romans 8. A beauty, a beautiful passage where we have to face the reality that we struggle and that we're guilty. But the magnificent thing about this that draws us to it is what we learn about God in the passage. In that, we find great assurance. Four observations, just four quick observations, I guess, from these four verses that help us understand the idea of assurance as a whole. Number one, true assurance. I want us to get the idea of what true assurance really is. This is verse one. We're going to go verse by verse. Number one, true assurance. Verse one. Let's read it again together. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Read it again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Some translations might have the word therefore first in our English Bibles. Others say there is therefore, but either way, the word therefore, like you know, ties us back to chapter 7. The struggles that Paul was discussing, the desires that he had to, to lean toward fulfilling the desires of the flesh, but also what he knew to be right in following the law of God. And that was, that was a struggle that Paul was having, but really this goes all the way back to chapter 1. This covers what Paul has said in its entirety from chapter 1 through chapter 7. Paul is drawing now in verse 1 a conclusion based on the gospel what he's preached in Romans 1 through 7 is now being culminated into this response that there is therefore now after considering all the facts that he's displayed up until this point not just that all are guilty but he proved that chapter 1 the Jews were guilty chapter 2 the Gentiles were guilty chapter 3 all are guilty and it culminates into this one fact that those who are in Christ that's a key phrase we'll learn in these four verses there is Therefore, now, no condemnation. What does condemnation mean? Jesus said to the woman in John 8, neither do I condemn you. We said that there was not necessarily a penalty that that woman would pay. By definition, from what I understand, condemnation is penalty after sentencing. So the sentence has been named. There, You are guilty, but there's no penalty after that. And so for us to understand Paul's words, Paul is saying you are guilty. You do struggle, you do fail, you do sin, but for those who are in Jesus, there's no penalty after your sentence. And we understand 
by implication and by reading through the text that Jesus took upon himself that penalty. When you read through the book of Romans, you look at chapter 5. Look back at chapter 5, Romans 5 and verse 16. Only three times is the word condemnation mentioned in your New Testament. All three times are in Romans. Romans 5 and verse 16 is the first appearance. The Bible says, and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one's trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Verse 18, second appearance. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. The third and final appearance is in our text, Romans 8 and verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The reality is all are guilty. But for the Christian, guilty isn't the final verdict. That's the great conclusion that Paul draws in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. That that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the reality. But for those who are in Christ Jesus, who no, no longer live by the law, but live by the Spirit of Christ or the Spirit of life in Christ, condemnation is not their end. Guilty is not the end result. It's not the final verdict. So let's consider two things about true assurance that you and I need to understand from Romans 8 and verse number 1. Number one, we need to understand the scope of true assurance. The scope of true assurance. Paul says, there is therefore now no. Those two words describe to me the scope of true assurance. Two things. Number one, now speaks in real time. Paul is saying right now in this moment, heaven is your hope. But you don't have to wait till you get to heaven to feel assured of what you have in Christ Jesus. You don't have to wait till you get to heaven to feel confident in what Jesus has said about your faith. You don't have to wait till you get to heaven to feel confident in the fact that the blood of Jesus Christ does wash away all sins and that it does break the bonds of sin, then it does set you free from those weights that do so easily beset you, the Hebrews writer says in Hebrews chapter 12. You don't have to wait till heaven till you understand that. Now speaks in real time. No. Speaks for all time for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now it's easy to take passages like this and to listen to teachers and theologians and commentators and draw from this the idea, once I'm saved, I can never do anything to lose my eternal salvation, that I am completely, solidly saved in Jesus for the rest of my life, no matter how I live. Uh, Emphasis on a couple of phrases, just for a second. Number one, verse one, those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse two, the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. Verse number four, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. And so it's imperative that we understand that Paul is speaking to people who are in Jesus Christ. Those who have made it their goal to obey the word of Jesus Christ. Those who have obeyed and been transformed by the blood of Jesus Christ, Romans 6. And that's their prerogative, to follow the commands of God until they die, or if they die. 
And so you consider that, the scope. Now, no condemnation. Now speaks in real time. I don't have to wait till heaven to feel assurance. I know that this is, this is the, the reality of my situation, that Jesus Christ died for my sins. That condemnation is not my, my verdict. Guilty is not the end result for me, that Jesus Christ has washed away my sins. Now speaks in real time. No speaks for all time. In other words, the charges have been dropped. Look at John chapter 5 and verse number 24. John 5 and verse 24. The Bible says this, Jesus speaking, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Some translations say he is not condemned but has passed from death to life. Listen to that again. I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment or he is not condemned, but he has passed from death to life. Friends, if God has declared that there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ, then I shouldn't condemn myself. Or I shouldn't be condemning others. And, and I have a, a bad problem about that condemning self thing. Trying to climb out of holding myself hostage to those things that have happened in the past. Or the things that I know that I've done wrong. That, that's a struggle for me. But if God has declared that there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ, who am I to say so? I remember my mother saying to me one time in a struggle that I was having, she said, Ty, respond to Satan's whispers with confidence that by the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, your case has been won. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the scope. Now, no. Number two, consider the sphere of true assurance, right? The scope, right now, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The sphere, draw your attention back to Romans 8 and verse number 1, and notice that phrase we pointed out a moment ago, those who are in Christ Jesus. So based on my understanding of Romans 8 and verse 1, there's only two classes of people in the world. There are those who are in Christ and there are those who are not in Christ. That's the only two classifications of people that I can see depicted in Romans 8 and verse 1. Those who are in Christ Jesus and those who are out of Christ Jesus. You say, Ty, what's the difference between those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ? Life and death, heaven or hell, truth or error, salvation and judgment, wickedness and or goodness and wickedness. All of those things describe the difference between those who are in Christ and those who are out of Christ. Romans 8.1 is great news, but it's only great news to Christians. It's not good news to those who are outside of Christ Jesus. Now, it would be good news if it was only half a verse. It would be good news if it said, there is therefore now no condemnation, period, paragraph, skip on, right? It would be good news if that's what Paul said. But Paul says, listen, there is only no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Look at John 3 and verse 18. I like this as a supporting text and supporting idea to what's happening in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. John 3, you know verse 16 very well. Read verses 17 and 18. And 18, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. 
because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. The only Son of God, John says. And so here you have the reality that the unbeliever faces full and final condemnation one day. And even worse than that, John says, he's condemned already. That that's his fate. Thanks be to God, though. Thanks be to God that there are are so many reasons to condemn. But Paul says there is now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Number two, as I look at the text and I draw an idea about what Paul's trying to say or I'm trying to draw a conclusion about what assurance is, I need to understand true assurance. It's now. I don't have to wait to heaven to feel assured about where I stand in the eyes of God or in the eyes of Christ. Number two, I can think about the fact that it only belongs to those who are in Christ. This good news that we're discussing, it's only for those who are in Christ Jesus. But then as I consider verse number two, assurance involves spiritual freedom. Spiritual freedom is involved in assurance. For me to get the most out of my assurance, I have to understand spiritual freedom. Read verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Listen again. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, I've, I've wrestled with this. Romans is one of those books that... It doesn't matter how many classes I've sat in in Romans and how many times I've heard sermons on it. It's one of those that just every time I read verses, I'm like, man, I'm struggling to to draw out what what to get here. And in Romans 7 is one of those passages that's pretty confusing, too, especially if you read it in the King James Version. It's just kind of confusing sometimes. And when I read Romans 8 in verse number 2, the more I study this, the more I'm convinced, and this is just my opinion, that the law in verse number 2 is not as much concerned with the law of Moses as much as he's just talking about the controlling power of the law of sin and death. He's not necessarily talking about a principle that governs as much as he is a power that controls the hearts and minds of the audience that Paul is talking about. And so when you read this in verse number 2, he's saying this, This controlling power that the law had over you, it no longer controls you. Sin and death don't have control over the Christian anymore. In other words, sin and death don't have the victory anymore over you. Because of Jesus Christ and His redemptive work, you have been set free. The the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free. Uh, When I consider that phrase, has set you free... And then I look back at at the spirit of life and I try to wrap my mind around what that spirit of life does for me and how how I can understand what all of that entails. My grandfather used to preach a sermon on, on this verse and his three points were the spirit revealed something life giving life-changing and life-fulfilling. And that's what I like to, to, to think about when I read this verse. The Spirit revealed to me something life-giving, life-changing and life-fulfilling. And so when you read in verse number 2, the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. It looks back to chapter 7 and verse number 24 where Paul said, O wretched man that I am. 
Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I serve my, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. I think this is the testimony of all believers. Paul says it's a struggle. I'm, I'm constantly feel like I'm in the grips of, of the flesh and that I can't break free from this, this controlling power of sin and death. You turn the page though and Paul says, but I've realized that in Jesus, and, and it's a liberating feeling, isn't it, to finally come to grips with the fact that I don't have to wait until heaven. To feel confident in the fact that the blood of Jesus, the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross, liberates me from the controlling power of sin and death. That's a great feeling. And all of my life, all of my life, I grew up in churches that just preached about how angry God was and how mad God was. And I just, I just I, it, it has made my Christian walk so much more peaceful. And happy to read the pages of Romans 8. And to understand that when I come to Jesus and when I lay my life down at the foot of His cross and I'm transformed by His blood, when I meet Him and I contact Him in that watery grave of baptism, and Paul says in Romans 6 and verse 4, I'm raised to have a new life. That means that the controlling power of sin and death are gone. It's gone. It no longer has a grip on me. You know, it's bad enough to struggle with sin or death. But Paul says, I was struggling with both. Sin and death. It had a grip on me. Let me tell you what I learned from Romans 8 and verse number 2. When I'm trying to understand assurance, and we talk about spiritual freedom, this is what that means. It doesn't mean that Christians no longer struggle with the controlling grip of sin and death. That's not what that means. But it does mean that sin and death no longer have victory over you. I heard a man preach a sermon on this text one time, and he used an illustration that I wrote down. And I always said, if I ever have to speak on this, I'm going to get on that illustration because it was really good. And I don't remember who he attributed the quote to, but he says, gravity never ceases, but it can be overcome. And that's what he said. And he went on to describe the fact that airplanes, gravity is in effect when you're flying on an airplane. And that when you get up and you're cruising at 30,000 feet, gravity is still in effect when you're cruising in the airplane. But there's something inside of the plane that overcomes gravity's downward pull. Gravity's still working, but there's something that's more powerful than gravity's downward pull. He says, in a greater way, the law of the spirit of life in Christ, verse number 2 of Romans chapter 8, has set you free from the controlling power. Of sin and death. It's still there. It's still in effect. But there is something in the power of Christ. That overcomes. The downward pull of the law of sin and death. Number three. In order to understand assurance. I need to know. And I use this term. Cautiously. I need to know. Divine intervention. Verse three. For God has done. Underline that phrase. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. I read that phrase and I pause. For God has done. Hallelujah. 
Praise God. Thank you so much for that phrase. For God has done what the law could not do. Now we said in verse 2 that law, or at least I'm convinced, that the law Paul speaks about in verse 2 is not necessarily the law of Moses, but rather just the controlling power that sin and death had over the Christian. I am convinced in verse number 3 that he switches back to talking about the law of Moses right here. And then we, we do that sometimes too. We talk about how law, the word law, means something like in a, in, a, in a courtroom or something like that, but then we also refer to scientific laws, and we use the same word to describe two different situations, and so I think that's maybe what happening is what, what's happening here. Paul goes from this controlling power in verse number 2 to now a governing principle in verse number 3. And he says, this was the standard, but there's a contrast, verse number 3. God has done what that law, the law of Moses, couldn't do. What, what then could the law not do? What is it that verse number 3, Paul says the law could not do? Well, verses 1 and 2 tell the story. Number 1, it couldn't save us from condemnation. And number 2, it couldn't set us free. That's what the law could not do. Therefore, God had to do something. God had to intervene. There had to be divine intervention in order for us to get out of the grips of the law of sin and death. Look back at Romans 7. Notice verses 7 and 8. I find this interesting, what Paul says about this law. He says, What shall we say then, that the law is sin? By no means, yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. So essentially, Paul says, The law could teach me the commands of God. The law could teach me how to live. The law could expose the areas of my life that weren't congruent with what God wanted me to do. It could do all of that, but it couldn't save me. And it couldn't make me righteous. And so verse 3 of our text, Romans 8, shows that the problem wasn't with the law. The problem was with the weakness of our flesh. And that's what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 7. That our worldly flesh and the desires that the world has, they fuel our sinful ways. They fuel what we choose to do with this world and with this flesh. Thus, what Paul says in Romans 7, verses 7 and 8, and even later on in chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, and even through the end of the chapter, where Paul says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. I think we understand what Paul's saying. That we, we face this reality. The law can't save us because of the weakness of the flesh. Now look back at verse 3. For God has done what the law couldn't do. Do you hear? For God has done what the law couldn't do. That is the divine intervention of the sovereign grace of God. For God has done what the law couldn't do. God says, here, I'll do for you what you can't do for yourself. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says something really interesting here. A passage that I think really just builds on his words to the Romans. And number 1, verse 1, you were dead 
in trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2 and verse 1. Verse 2, in which you once walked following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy, Because of the great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up us with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Tonight, if you're in Christ, that's your testimony. But God. But God. Number four, and finally tonight, understanding assurance means I have to know what assurance is. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I have to understand spiritual freedom, that the law of the spirit of the life in Christ has set us free from the grip of the law of sin and death. Number three, divine intervention, that God had to do for me what I could not do for myself. And finally, number four, assurance, it demands a new life. It demands a new life. Look back at Romans 6 and verse number 3. A moment ago we mentioned that. Romans 6, start in verse number 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? Verse 4. We were therefore buried with Him in baptism, uh, by baptism, into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. From that, I draw this conclusion, that God did not save us, nor did Christ die on the cross for us to continue living under the grip of the law of sin and death. That God did not save us, or Christ did not die, so that we could continue to live like we used to live. To live in the old life, or to live after the old way. Rather, Jesus saved us to give us new life. So therefore, I propose to you this idea. I'm convinced that justification, which is what we've talked about so far in Romans 8, 1, 2, and 3. Justification, how we became saved, or at least how all of that culminates into the fact that there is no penalty that belongs to those who are in Christ Jesus. That Jesus paid it all, we sing. That's justification. But I'm convinced tonight that justification is married to sanctification. And that's what verse 4 is all about in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 4, where Paul says this, Romans 8 and verse 4. He condemned sin in the flesh, that's Jesus, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so verse 4 tells me the purpose of why God did for us what we could not do in verse number 3. The purpose for Jesus being sent to the earth was so that the righteous requirement of the law will be fulfilled in us. That justification is the event and sanctification 
sanctification is the process. Someone said justification is the root and sanctification is the fruit. Those two things are married together. That Jesus Christ, He saved you and sanctification is the result. That's what you do. You change. You live a new life. The goal of salvation, friends, according to Romans 8 to me, is not just to go to heaven. But it's to show the world who Jesus is. And to show the world what the freedom of Jesus can do in the heart's in the lives of people who once lived under the control of sin and death and who don't do that anymore. And I'm also convinced that it's the will of God that the Spirit of God revealed the Word of God to make children of God like the Son of God. That's what Romans 8 verses 1 through 4 is in a nutshell to me. And by the way, when you read verse number 4, and you see this phrase at the end where he says that they walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's not an exhortation. That's an explanation. An understanding that verses 1 through 3 just change the way that these people lived. That the people who truly have a grasp on the, the, the no condemnation and the spiritual freedom and the divine intervention in verses 1 through 3, that the natural response to the goodness of God is a changed life. So how are we balanced by assurance? That's the theme after all, right? Balanced by assurance. Sure, it's important to focus on those things that I need to be doing. The, the imperatives that Christ lists in His Word, in His Gospel, in His life that He lived by example, all of these things that are required of me to fulfill my duties and my obligations to being a servant to Jesus. But at some point or another, I have to understand the depth, the depth of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ and appreciate that and to stop living in fear and to stop worrying so much about my past and, and how my past just, just holds me captive and keeps me from being and doing what Christ wants me to be. Because Paul said, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. As we draw our thoughts to a, con a close, I, I want to remind you of something. Paul does not say in Romans 8 and verse 1 that there is no cause for condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. Because that's not true of Tyrams. It's not true of Tyrams. And I don't suppose it's true of you either. You fall and I fall. And, and I stumble and you stumble. And I sin and you sin. It's just the reality. It's not that there is no cause for condemnation. And, and truthfully told, uh, most of the time I just feel like I'm making it. You know, People ask me how I'm doing. Well, I'm making it. And that's about all I can say. And I'm sure that you probably feel that way too sometimes. That I'm just doing all I can. Paul's not saying there is no cause for condemnation. Because if God looked down at us tonight in this place, He would surely find plenty of reason to condemn. But let me remind you of something else. Verse number 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul doesn't say there is therefore now no failure for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no struggle for those who are in Christ Jesus. No. Verse 1. There is therefore now no stumbling to those who are in Christ Jesus. No. He says... There is therefore now no condemnation, no punishment, no coming into the judgment for the follower of Jesus Christ. And let me remind you of something else. Just because you struggle, God's not going to reject you. You're not a bad Christian because you struggle. 
And God, God's not just angry at you because you struggle and because you sin. God's not just angry at you. He's not looking down on you to just, just lash out and whip you when you struggle. I like to think of it this way. Uh, I don't have any children of my own, but we've had some babies at Chisholm Hills recently that have, uh, you know, gotten to that age where they're running around all over the place and things like that. And I've watched them uh, learn how to walk and things of that nature. And, 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 and when a child stands up and, and they fall down, and, and that happens a lot, right? They grab onto things and they fall. And, and they stand up and they fall. And they take two steps and they fall. And then they get to where they're pretty good and they go all around the house and then they fall, right? It, it would be crazy if, if the dad just snatched them up and whipped them because they fell, right? That would be bizarre. For a dad to just pick them up and whip them because they're trying to walk and they're trying to do their best and they're trying to... No, no, they cheer because they got back up. They say, come on, you've got this. Let's keep going together. I'll help you. Come to me, right? Come to me. That's what we say. Just keep going. You've got this. You can do it. That's what no condemnation means. You may fall. You will fall. You will struggle. You will sin. But there's therefore now no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. Maybe you're here tonight and you've been struggling. You've been struggling with the grip of the law of sin and death. For some reason, you just can't seem to break free from its grip. Trust in the promises of God tonight, please. Please understand what Paul was trying to help us see, that he knew more than any of us in this room what it was like to be held in the grips of the law of sin and death. But he could faithfully proclaim. There is therefore now no condemnation. Make that your testimony tonight. Why not respond to heaven's invitation? Be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, like he mentions in Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. Be raised again to have a new life, a life of assurance, a life that serves God out of a heart of gratitude for the redemptive work of His Son. Maybe you need to respond because of some struggles that you are having. You feel that you can't escape the grip of the law of sin and death. Why not let us... Share the load. Let us help you. Let us pray for you. Let us pray with you. Let us carry the load right to the foot of the cross to the one who is able to handle all things. If we can help you in any way, we beg you to come as we stand and as we sing.